0: If you've recovered from COVID 19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID 19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID 19 antibodies. Visit vitalent.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online, so any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com.
1: This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle.
0: This is Podco Media Networks.
1: On episode 140 of Confessions of a Marketer, the CEO-CMO relationship. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Maggie Fox is back for part two of our chat, and we get into the CEO-CMO relationship. Next time, Mark Schaefer will be here to talk about his book, Marketing Rebellion, along with consumer trends, customer loyalty, and viral marketing. Plus, Catherine Hayes, speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Serious XM Business Radio will be in to discuss advertising. We've got lots more great guests and discussions in store, so stay tuned for that.
0: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today.
1: All right, back to Maggie Fox. We talk here about the CMO-CEO relationship quite a bit. Maggie has been on the front lines of that relationship and has some real wisdom to share. We also hear about what her approach is to being an activist CMO, how the CMO role has changed in recent years, and her reaction to whether the CMO role is dying or not. Let's get to it. So, how about the CMO-CEO relationship, which can be fraught? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that is? Because a CEO goes out, hires a CMO, and that relationship can become frayed fairly quickly sometimes. Not all the time, but mm-hmm. it is a very high turnover job. So, so why do you think that happens? And, and what can either person do to change it?
0: Yeah. I have a couple of opinions on this matter. Before I get into one of my favorite things, though, (laughs) one of my favorite things about software in particular, having spent a lot of time in the software industry, which are often sales-driven organizations, right? The sales part of the company, sometimes a product, but a lot of the time, especially enterprise software, sales-driven, right? The the power sits with sales. And so the sales, you know, they especially if it's enterprise software, or, you know. And, and I'm not speaking specifically of SAP. This is a general observation from having consulted and worked in the industry across a bunch of different companies. The sales part of the organization, they often they hunt elephants, right? The deals are really big. There's there's some debate, dispute, etc. As to how much marketing contributes to that. So you often get this, especially if you have a sales focused CEO, which you often do. You often get this sort of. Uh, dismissiveness, right? The, what, are, what are you guys doing over there anyway in marketing? What are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm going up building relationships and bringing home this $40 million deal. You can't tell me that your webinar contributed to that in any way. And, right. um, and that's very interesting. It's like, what are you guys kind of doing? And then there's also at the same time out of the other side, often of the conversation it is that, you know, I need you to do these things. You're not doing these things, even though the things you do don't really matter. And, I, and, right. and, I, and I'm, I'm saying this in like the kindest way possible because yeah. it is, it, it's kind of amusing, right? Like there is this, often in software, sales-driven organizations, there's this tension between like, we need you to do stuff, but we don't actually think the stuff you do does anything. And that I think is where a lot of the tension can come from. Just generally between sales and marketing, and then you know it kind of goes up the tree. But and it's interesting, and uh, you know I, I think the answer, as with most things, is building strong relationships and and open communication. I've observed it several times, and I think, wow, I'm not I'm not sure you can have your cake and eat it too. I think you have to pick one of those two things. But when it comes to the CEO and the CMO, honestly a lot of the time, especially, especially when you're talking about founder CEOs, but, but others as well is the CEO is often really the CMO, right? They are, they do so much of what a brilliant CEO does is marketing the organization, whether it's to investors and analysts, you know, whether it's the markets, whether it's to customers, whether it's the media, they are the ones that are the face and, and sort of the, the, you know, the aura, the charisma of the business. And I I think that there's a fundamental tension there because you have to have a pretty good mind melt with a CEO who's really good at that, because otherwise you're not on, you're obviously not on the same page, right? You have to really have a mind melt and CEOs are busy, right? They're busy. It can be hard to get their time and attention. It can just be hard to get the face time to build those relationships that are really, really strong. You know, I, I think that in many ways that's, the crux of a lot of the issue is that the CEO knows what they want. Maybe they can't always articulate it. CEOs are mostly are brilliant communicators, actually, really, really savvy, intuitive marketers. And and I think there's a sense of like you're not giving me what I want. But it's hard to know what they want. And I think and that coupled with especially in technology, a bit of dismissiveness around the role of marketing. You know how important yeah. it really is to driving the business. You know it can be a bad combination sometimes, not always, but sometimes.
1: Yeah. So you described yourself to me when we were chatting ahead of doing this recording as an activist CMO, someone who's brought in to change things. Mm -hmm. That can be a delicate thing, right? So how do you approach that role coming into an organization where you know you've got to make pretty significant change?
0: Mm. One thing I will say is it doesn't work if you don't have the air cover, right? If you're chief executive officer, isn't 100% supportive of the change, then you might as well just forget it. You might as well just walk away. It's not going to work. And the same goes for the board, right? The board and the CEO need to be 100% on board. It is extremely delicate. And I've certainly seen people take a bulldozer approach where they kind of come in and, and you know, this is how it's going to be and this is what we're going to do and lay down the law and, you know, we're all going to proceed. And, and that really doesn't work in my experience, and I think this was the benefit of having run a consulting firm, you know, a digital and social media consulting firm for seven years, is that you really have to behave like a consultant. If you really want to drive change, you actually have to spend the first huge chunk of your time listening and understanding what the reality of the situation is. And so my typical approach is very similar to what I used to do as a consultant. I would come in, I would do office hours, you know, have a series of interviews with people that were, I need, I knew I needed to talk to, and plus anyone else who wanted to walk through the door, and you know, get them to tell me how it's going, like what's going on, yeah. what's really happening here, and do the same with your peers, do the same with you know the board, CEO, really throughout the organization, so that you take the time, and it is time, it is time consuming, and there is no shortcut to take the time to really get a sense of the lay of the land as opposed to what your assumptions may be because you, they're always wrong. Like whatever you assume is the issue is almost always wrong until you actually get the data from the people living it. And that's time consuming. A lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to come in and do the, here I am, here's what we're going to do. And here's the big idea. But in my experience, if you spend the time one-on-one with people um, to try to, you're kind of infecting the organization with your thoughts in a way, right? (laughs) And your approach, building trust, showing people you listen you don't always have to agree with them. You don't have to do what they suggest, but that you did in fact, listen to them. They can see their own words in the things that, that end up coming to be. That is an essential aspect of, of starting that process. And, and, Every we used to do that as a consulting firm at SAP. That was a huge part of the approach. Aeroplan, all of the other organizations I've worked in, that has been an essential first step. Is basically just taking the first six weeks or so and just getting to know the team, getting to know the organization, starting to understand those themes. And they all, themes always merge, right? You see the same thing over and over again, and that starts to lead you to the path of okay, what what really are the challenges? So that that's the the other part of it. And then honestly, it's like I'm a John P. Cotter fan, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the sort of champion of change management process. And if you yeah. look at his, I think, I can't remember now because I don't have it in front of me if it's, I think it's nine steps or nine aspects. And three of them are related to communication, right? Yeah. Three of them are related to telling people what's going on, being transparent about what's happening, being transparent about process, you know, how, you know, achievements, et cetera, just celebrating small wins. And that's, that's the other component that's absolutely critical is, is you have to, you have to communicate with people about where you're going, where they can help you so that they can start to put themselves into this new vision and see how they can contribute and then tell people how it's going, right? Every month, every week, whatever, whatever the cadence is that makes sense that here's what we've accomplished so far, you know, here's what we've accomplished so far. This is what's coming next. This is the great, you know, the great result that we've seen so far. Again, it's very laborious. Like, none of these things are like whiz bang, flashy, like, ta da, big ideas. They're actually very workmanlike, and that you put one foot in front of the other and just put the time in, make sure people know what's going on, make sure you communicate regularly, make sure they have an opportunity for feedback so they feel part of it, right? Because nobody ever did anything because of a spreadsheet. People do things because they're emotionally connected. So you've got to give them a vision to connect to. um, And then you got to keep repeating it.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing that makes a good marketing strategy work with customers, right? People make decisions based on visceral reactions. And that's the same with the employees who are undergoing the same change the CMO is trying to Mm -hmm. get going.
0: Yep, 100%. And change is uncomfortable. Change is very uncomfortable. And, you know, moving into organizations where things have been very static, organizations that are very conservative because they've had maybe a very similar population for a really long period of time. It is very delicate and you will see escalations. You will see people getting upset. You will see people not liking their cheese being moved. The key to that is just persistence and determination, clarity, focus, transparency, and you just don't let up. You just don't let up and you keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's kind of the the brute force part of it. But then the other part of it is the vision, right? That big idea that shows them a vision of the future. And I've often found, interestingly, the bigger, the better. You know, that if you have a vision that's like, here's where we're going to be in a month, it's really hard to get for that to be derailed, right? You're like, oh, a month from now, well, you know, I guess we didn't do it. But when you paint a vision or a picture that's two, three, four years out, that is vastly different from today, it's amazing how those short-term visions, those short-term goals and achievements get knocked off because they don't feel like anything. It's like, we're just, we're on our way to this bigger picture. We're on our way to this bigger picture. So I actually really enjoy the idea of the vision that is a little more than a little scary because I think that allows the shorter term things to happen because they don't, it it, they don't feel like such a big deal because look at look at the big one, right? This little one is nothing. Um, right. So, so that's actually something that I've, I've sort of used as a technique many times, which is, okay, we have this one thing we want to do, but here's the big reason we want to do it. And, um, and it, it, it does seem to kind of distract people a little bit um, sure. and and actually give them more runway in an right. interesting way.
1: It's an achievable goal, right? It's kind of like if you think of Hoarders or a show like that, if you think of the whole house that's full of junk, you'll never get anything done. If you start with one box, you can get that done and then move on to the next box. Yeah, yeah. Not that companies are like hoarders, but it's just a no, metaphor. No.
0: <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, they are, but in a way, they actually, we could carry on with this metaphor, they actually kind of are in a way. Yeah, you know, all the yeah. legacy systems, legacy processes, oh, sure. the stuff yeah. that's sort of sedimentary just kind of builds up until one day someone goes, whoa, it's taking us three months to build a website. That's a problem.
1: Right. Yeah. Or a yeah. microsite
0: or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting transformation process. And, you know, we think of, uh, you know, business transformation as being kind of a global kind of company thing. But, you know, for to transform marketing is about more than just the marketing department. It touches mm-hmm. so many parts of a company.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah, that brings me to my next question about the CMO role itself. And, and you've been in that role several times. How has it changed over the
0: past few years? I like to think, I like to think that it's become more strategic, right? That there is, I mean, we talk about the tension between sales going, you guys don't even do anything, you know, and, and then, oh, by the way, we need you to do this stuff. I like to think that it actually has become more strategic. And in the sense that there's a better awareness, again, because all the great CEOs are great communicators that positioning you know, the way that you talk about a company, if you just want to talk about, you know, marketing and its, it's sort of more corporate level. Sure. That it's, you know, that there is a, a good understanding that the right words to explain what you do really matter, right? And that doesn't happen by accident. And that the consistency of explaining yourself in the same way all the time is actually what builds brand, which has a measurable value. So I like to think that people are just generally becoming a bit better educated about some of those words and what they mean. And the fact that, you know, the way you put yourself in the market is actually really critical to your, to your ongoing success and it influences everybody. And I, I think so. I mean, it depends on the industry, right? It's also really hard to talk about a CMO role as a single thing when in consumer packaged goods, it's one thing. And when it's B2B high tech, it's a completely different thing. So sure, sure. I find that sometimes that's a little hard too. the requirements are so very different. I like to think as well that there's a a better appreciation of the metrics and data that marketers can provide back to the business, right? That the insights that we can deliver, you know, I do think in a lot of cases, you know, consumer packaged goods, probably less so because they're very sophisticated, but, you know, a lot of companies I've worked in and the industries that I've worked in, I, I see people talking about that more than actually really being able to do it. Um, Because, you know, the ongoing debate and discussion about attribution and what point in the pipeline did marketing influence before it was handed over to sales and and sort of figuring out that attribution so you can understand the contribution of marketing to revenue. I mean, that stuff is still really, 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 really messy. I have never walked into a place where they really had it figured out. Like they were on their way to figuring it out for sure, you know, and, and made big strides in that direction. But I have not seen a lot of organizations that are really, really, really solid and understanding precisely which levers at which point in the funnel, if you want to call it a funnel, whatever customer decision journey that, you know, you're able to pull and and who can influence those. There's, there's a lot of desire to do that. And I think there's a feeling it's possible, but it's a lot of heavy lifting to put the systems and processes in place. And whenever you have people involved in there where they're arbitrarily or humans are required to enter data, that is also where things get a bit messed up, right? If, If it's not all automated. So That was a long roundabout way of saying, I think there continues to be a lot of potential for marketing to really be the voice of the customer and provide super valuable insight that even becomes predictive over time. But I think the reality lags that, you know, substantially just in terms of technology and implementation that a lot of these systems don't talk to each other to put a proper marketing automation system in place is really quite a heavy lift. And smaller companies are often better at it, but larger legacy organizations still, I believe, in my experience anyway, still really struggle with that. Yeah. So there's a, pr- a lot of promise, but the execution is not always what it could be.
1: Absolutely. So I had Beth Comstock, who was CMO at GE, I think the first CMO of GE for mm-hmm. for a while. And one of the things we discussed is whether the CMO role was in fact dying and she and I kind of agreed I think that it's it's certainly changing and Mm -hmm. I think to your to your point earlier it kind of means a different thing depending on what industry you're in being a Mm -hmm. CMO is different across industries what do you think about the the long-term viability of the CMO role
0: Yeah. I guess, I guess the question, if I may answer a question with a question, the question I would have is like, well, then what would replace it? Right. Like who, who, and, and did you guys talk about that? Because unfortunately I didn't have a chance to listen to that podcast. Did you talk about
1: it? The kind of importance of data in the role and, and the fact that the CMO is one of the prime consumers of technology, does that mm-hmm. change? Maybe not the CMO role itself, but the kind of person who fills it. Yeah. So do you want more of a technology person in the role? And even in my in my experience, having worked for a number of CMOs, some were skewed toward product, yeah. some were skewed toward you know sales, mm-hmm. very few of them came from the creative side of the business, although I think that's an interesting area to explore for a CMO. Yeah. but it kind of reflects the personality of the company, the industry, and the person who's in the role so so you know we we were talking about how it's evolved over the last few years. you know where is it headed with you know, the primacy of data in everyone's life and mm-hmm. in in the life of every marketer. You talked about, you know, providing that data to the organization. Is that something that changes the CMO role?
0: Yeah. I mean, and I, when the Gartner stuff came out, right, that, and I forget what year it actually came out, but I think the deadline was like by 2017, the CMO is going to spend more money on technology than the CIO. That made a lot of waves, right? That yeah, made a yeah. lot of waves. And you know, the dollar figure may have come to pass, but I'm not sure the technology decision process is entirely autonomous, right? That the CMO needs right. to actually make a lot of those decisions, which I think is a big challenge. And, and anyway, when a lot of that discussion was happening, it was sort of like, okay, so then is it is it then this this pull because it's more technology focused. Is it the CIO who, you know, is really going to be running a lot of this and you know, then they become, you know, the chief experience officer or whatever the chief digital officer, even like whatever the, the name may be. Somebody needs to do this work, right? Like somebody yeah, needs to yeah, do this stuff. Sure. And, and I guess the question I have is, does the name of what they're doing change? I, Cause I, the, the stuff still needs to be done. It's not going anywhere. And so then, yeah. do we just call them something different because more is rolled up into it? And you're certainly seeing a lot of chief revenue officers, that being something, you know, chief customer officer and a lot of marketing being, a chief customer experience officer and a lot of marketing being rolled up into that. CMO is one thing, and CMO, you know, depending on the business, can control a lot of different things, right? Especially if it's a technology heavy business. But I think when you roll up sales and marketing together under somebody, or even marketing and a a big, big, big hunk of technology, I think you're at risk of creating an organization that is too complicated to manage.
1: Sure. Especially when
0: I look at the talk versus the implementation around data. And then the talk versus the implementation around even the next level of AI and machine learning, right? Where it's a lot of talk. I think you run the risk of creating an organization that is too, unless you're starting from scratch, an organization that is too complex to manage and will have too many systems that if they aren't in great shape the day those things are rolled together, the challenge becomes so large to untangle them that I'm not sure it's possible within a reasonable time frame. Like the level of transformation that would be required and people essentially making themselves obsolete and undoing their own work is kind of beyond what a lot of people would be able to do just yeah. as humans. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And and so I I question, I question whether you should be adding more stuff to it just for the sake of bringing like things together, or is it just a bigger systems issue inside enterprise? I mean, also to, again, as with different industries, you know, when we're talking about a 5,000 person company versus an 80,000 person company, these discussions are obviously different in terms of scale. But, you know... I think there is a risk of creating things that are too complex to manage. And I think you roll too much stuff up under sales. I can get my arms around the business because it's 5,000 people. You run the risk of just layering more bad stuff onto stuff that wasn't great to begin with. And I think creating larger problems that you almost have to rip and replace and just wipe it all away and start again, (laughs) which... I'm an advocate of sometimes, right? Like sometimes, sure. you, and you, you see companies doing that, especially if it's a technology company and they have a bad code base problem, like their initial platform they realize will not scale. I've seen several of them, again, not, they're not SAP scale, but set up completely separate organizations to redo everything and then bringing them back together again, recognizing yeah. that it is virtually impossible to build the plane while you're flying it. So, anyway, these are all big issues around business complexity and et cetera, But I, I think they can't be more.
1: Yeah. Well, this this has been fascinating. Boy, the the last few minutes have been have been eye opening, and each one of the the points that you make could be a separate podcast episode. I think.
0: <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: w- really appreciate you joining me for this.
0: Mark, thanks so much. I look forward to uh, listening to our conversation, and thank you again for asking. I've enjoyed the chat very much.
1: All right, next time, Mark Schaefer on Marketing Rebellion. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is Copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. want cash. You want to get stuff done. So what do you do? You buy 5-Hour Energy, of course. You upload the receipt to 5hewin.com, then find out if you instantly won $10, $100, or even $1,000. Then you drink that 5-Hour Energy and cut through your to-do list like a hot knife through butter. 5-Hour Energy, the official sponsor of getting stuff done. No purchase necessary. Must be 18 and a legal resident of the U.S. Ends June 30th, 2021. For rules, visit 5hewin.com rules. Void where prohibited. Message and data rates may apply.